born into a manger. Lived a perfect, sinless life on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for the power of God that resides over us, that reigns in your church, the power to save. Lord, give us a passion and a hunger to share the message and the truth of who Jesus is. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, that's worship behind us. We're a little bit more awake. The coffee's kicking in. Let's let us jump right in. What I want to start with, and this is this has been on my heart for a couple weeks as I've as I've prepared this. We're uh, still in our series, Everyday Gospel, where we are talking about not just making the gospel a part of your everyday life, but the call on us to make the gospel a part of everybody's life around us. So we are going to start by unpacking our memory verses. So if you're, if you're kind of new here or you haven't been paying attention, we do a memory verse as a church every month. We've done something different this past September, last month and this month. Instead of doing a memory verse a month, we are putting three into these two months. There's nine weeks, and we're spending three weeks on, on each one. Because these three just kind of tie together so well. Anybody know what the memory verse is? Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. That's good. Let's, Ben's got the, the first one, Matthew 28, 18. Do you want to put that up on the, on the screen? So he came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. I don't have that memorized. I just read it off the back. Every, 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 there were some people looking like they were really impressed. Don't be that impressed. I've been working on them just like you folks, and I've had about the same ability to memorize as some of you folks. So He came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He is telling them, making sure that they understand he's not just a pastor. He's not just a teacher. He is not just somebody who is wise, who has kind of some, some clever sayings that you might capture and put on your refrigerator. He's not just somebody filled with inspirational quotes. All authority has been given to me. He is supernaturally connected to God. He doesn't just have a little bit of authority. He has all the authority. How many of us have, have ever been guilty of this? You're, you're driving down the road and your speed is maybe a little more than it should be. Or maybe you are often a little faster than you should be. So even if you are within the speed limit, you see in the distance a police car. Or what looks like a police car. And your foot comes off of that gas pedal really quick without even thinking of it. And moves over to the to the brake. I'm Shannon and I are from... Up north, we're from Ohio. And in the winter, you get people that have ski racks on top of their car. They don't see too many ski racks down here in, in Florida. But you, you come over the hill, and you're going a little faster, and in the distance, you see a, a white car with a ski rack on top of it. And if there's no skis in it, it looks exactly like the lights on top of a police car. So you take your foot off of that gas pedal, and you start slowing down. And then when you get close enough, that's not, a, that's not a cop. I could just speed right past this guy. He doesn't have any authority. He's just like me, except he owns a ski rack. We, we, we tend to, to go through life kind of looking at people with different levels of authority. I mean, remember as a kid how you acted for a substitute teacher? as opposed to how you acted for the teacher that was going to be talking to your parents on, on parent-teacher night? Remember how you acted like maybe for a babysitter? Or maybe when you were staying over at Grandma and Grandpa's house? Because they, they maybe gave you a little bit more leeway than Mom and Dad did? We, we react to authority, and when we know somebody has less, we, we tend to kind of get a heavy foot. 
don't we, when it comes to our behavior? Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. I am not just a teacher. I'm not just a preacher. I speak for the Father. I am supernaturally connected to the Father. So that's, that's what he starts by proclaiming that I've got all the authority. Pay attention to what I said. In verse 19, and, and Ben's got that as well. So go and make followers of all people in the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he is proclaiming, he is telling them, after saying, I've got all the authority, listen to me, go into the world, go into all the world, we've heard that if you've spent any amount of time in church, go into the world and convert them. Go into the world and evangelize. Go into the world and share the gospel. Go into the world and tell them with so much passion that they get excited about it. And, and when we add passion to what we're excited about, that's the best chance of getting other people excited about it. Everybody in this room understands that there are stray animals, that there are animals that are, that are starving, that there are animals that are neglected. We all understand this. How many of you have seen one of those commercials with that really sad kind of song, that ballad playing? And they show the dog chained to a tree, and the dog is really skinny, and the dog is shivering because it's snowing. You have a different emotional response to that than you do just being aware that there are animals that don't have enough to eat. When, when your emotions become engaged, that's how your passion gets engaged. So go into all the world and tell them, go and be excited enough about it, be passionate enough about it, that you engage their emotions, that you engage their passion. Because, and he's about to continue, baptize them. Now let's be very clear. I think probably everybody in the room knows this. But I'm just, I don't ever want to miss an opportunity to say this. Baptism is not salvation. You can get into heaven without being baptized. There are a whole lot of baptized people in hell. Baptism has nothing to do with whether or not you get into heaven or get kept out of heaven. Baptism is something that people that are going to heaven, that have accepted what Jesus did on the cross, baptism is something that they do, that they say, hey, I understand what Jesus did on the cross for my sins. I want to be baptized because I want everybody who sees me baptized to know that I'm all about Jesus. It's, a, it's kind of an outward expression of what you're feeling in your heart. Go and tell them about Jesus and baptize them. Well, you can't just go and baptize somebody who doesn't know Jesus. I mean, you can, but you're not supposed to. You can't just take a bucket of water up to the Wendy's parking lot and just throw a bucket of water on somebody and say, hey, you're baptized. I mean, you can, but that's probably a good way to get punched in the mouth. That's not how baptism works. Go and tell them about Jesus, but then invest in them and keep investing and keep pouring into their life till they get to the point where they say, you know, I want everybody to know I'm a Christian. I want to show them that I'm a believer. I want to be baptized. He is not calling for you to go and do some sort of drive-by evangelism where you go and holler at them about Jesus and then get out of their life and disappear. Go and tell them about Jesus and sit with them about Jesus and keep telling them and keep growing them until they want to be baptized. Go and invest in their lives and do life with them. Go and make followers of all the people who will baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. And then verse 20. And, and I'm kind of doing the verses for you. I'm not quizzing you on the memory verses this morning. But hopefully we pay attention. Verse 20. Teach them to obey everything that I have told you to do. You can be sure that I will be with you always. I will continue with you until the end of time. Teach them to obey. Teach them to take the Holy Scriptures, God's Word. Teach them to take all these things that I'm telling you and showing you. Teach them to take all of this seriously. 
that it's not just, eh, I go to church on Sunday. But teach them to say, I live for this 24-7. I am committed to this. I am trying this. Now, the reality that we all know, I'm trying this, and I mess it up every day, and I keep trying it because I want to be closer to Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And I want to grow closer today than I was yesterday. And hopefully I was closer yesterday than I was last Wednesday. We're going to keep trying this. That's what he's saying. Go and teach them. Teach them to take this seriously. Be assured that I am with you always. I'm a constant source of connection and encouragement. This I will continue with you in the context that this was written. And this is one of the things we're talking about in our Thursday night Bible study. Context matters. Who wrote it? Who they wrote it to? What were the customs? What was going on in the world at the time? And this, I will continue with you. This was a saying they were all familiar with. I will be with you. I will finish with you. I will go step by step with you. This saying had to do with any time any of them took a journey. And in those days, anything was a journey. Going from here to Hitchcock's was a journey because you had to walk. Going from here to Palatka was a journey. Going from here to Atlanta was a journey. And it helped to have somebody to make those steps with you, to go step by step with you. If I'm going to go from here to Atlanta, it helps when Sam would say, hey, I'll go with you, Mark. Step by step, I'm going to make that trip with you. Well, that, that helps because then Sam and I, we each have somebody to, to fellowship with, to talk to. It's, it's a lot less lonely. That helps the time go by. But it also provides protection. When the two of us are traveling together, or if there's more than two, we can protect each other from animals, from thieves. If it's, if it's dangerous where we are going, we can take turns sleeping so that we can look out for one another. We have companionship. We, we, take, we can share our skills along the way. If one of us is really good at, at maybe bartering, for some, some shelter or a place to stay. One of us is good at hunting. One of us is good at, at cooking or, or starting a fire. It helps to kind of share those skills because then we are better off while we travel. So Jesus is using this phrase, I'm going to go with you step by step. Protection, fellowship, I am with you all the way because this, this walking journey that I'm going to take it helps, but it's no real good for the whole journey if Sam says, I am with you all the way until we get up to Freedom Baptist Church, and then I'm going to kind of cut out and go do something else, and you're on your own. No, it, it, it helps if Sam goes with me the whole way. And that's what Jesus is saying. Well, I'm not just with you part of the way. I'm not just with you until it's starting to get cold out. I'm out of here. I am with you every step. And that's what he's saying. I am in this where you are supposed to go and you are supposed to baptize and you're supposed to do life with people. I am with you all the way until the end. I'm not just with you a little bit. I'm not just checking in once in a while. When you're walking from here to Atlanta, I'm not just going to drive by in a couple days in my air-conditioned car and wave out the window at you. Oh, he's still alive. Looks good. No, I'm going to take every step with you. So I want to talk this morning about, <coughs> excuse me, I've still got the cough. It's a lot better, but it's, it's still there a little bit. Um, I want to talk this morning about how important, what an ongoing important mission, assignment, command, discipleship is. Discipleship is one of, I think, the most overlooked parts of Christian life in our culture in the last 50 years, the last 100 years. We have allowed, as a church, I'm not talking about Fresh Start Fellowship necessarily, although there is some applicable truth there, but we have allowed too many people to attend church without demanding involvement. And I'm not saying that that means we put a demand on your time. Hey, Eric, you're really busy. I want you to get even busier and, and start serving. But that we give you opportunities to serve. That we let you know that the most important thing you can be is serving God. More important than taking care of your family, and taking care of his family is really important. More important than earning a living, and earning a living is really important. 
But more important than all the important stuff you've got is serving Jesus. And we sometimes, we don't want to step on toes. And I don't want to say, I don't want to chase Eric away. I don't want Eric to feel like I'm putting any pressure on him. So we're going to let Eric just kind of show up once in a while on Sunday. And we're never going to press into his life and ask him for any more. That's not doing Eric any spiritual favors. And that's not doing us as a church any spiritual favors. And that's me not doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a pastor. We've allowed discipleship to be replaced by fellowship. And, and they look a lot alike. Discipleship and fellowship, we're spending time together. So as long as we've got a lot of fellowship going on, we're just going to count that as discipleship. And fellowship and discipleship can certainly be interchangeable if the fellowship is done correctly. But all too often, fellowship is not any deeper than just like a potluck meal. We just get together once in a while, and we eat, and we visit, and we laugh. Let me tell you, we can have fellowship. I can get my coffee, and I can get my donut. I can stand next to Pastor Steve with his coffee and his donut, and, and Brother Sam can come with his, his coffee and his donut, and the three of us can stand together and one of us with a mouthful of donut can say, well, these donuts are good. And then the other two can just kind of grunt because they're busy eating. We're not having fellowship. We're certainly not having discipleship. That's just three guys who are showing no self-control around a pile of donuts. We're not taking spiritual steps. It's not bad. It's not sinful to enjoy a donut. It's not bad to sit... With a, with a couple of the guys that enjoy donuts. But that doesn't count. That's not what Jesus was talking about. And we get this idea that when we come in and we say hi to each other on a Sunday morning and we're friendly and we shake hands and we fist bump and we, we hang out together and that counts. We're doing what Jesus wants us to do. Well, we're not doing the opposite of what Jesus wants us to do, but we're not doing what he wants us to do. We're not fully committed if we're just doing it in a really shallow way. So I want to look at how serious this is. Let's compare this, this mission to evangelize and to disciple. Let's compare this to something really important. June 6, 1944. Who knows what that day was? D-Day. D-Day. That was the day that the Allied forces, mostly American, Canadian, and British, landed at the beach, Normandy, to mount an invasion against the, 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 the Nazi Axis forces that had conquered and were occupying most of Europe. This invasion of, of Normandy, hundreds and hundreds of Allied soldiers were, were ferried up to the beach in these landing crafts. And the landing crafts, if you, you've seen them, they look almost like a bathtub or almost like a dumpster. It's just like a, a box that's open on top, and you can get 20 or 30 guys standing there, shoulder to shoulder. And the landing craft takes them right up to the beach, or as close to the beach as they can get. The front comes down, and they charge off onto the beach. This was their invasion plan. If you don't know anything about Normandy, Normandy is filled with cliffs, which makes charging the beach like Mission Impossible. Because way up in the cliffs, that's where the Germans had fortified themselves. They are comfortable up in the cliffs, and without having to move around, they can just shoot down onto the beach that is wide open, which means anything on the beach is an open target. To make it worse, they had barbed wire and all kind of instructions on the beach, so you couldn't just sprint up the beach you had to climb, and you had to crawl, and you had to maneuver around, all while, while they're shooting at you. So the Germans had the high ground. Our forces are storming the beach. In those landing crafts, especially the, the first wave of landing crafts, about 25 or 30 soldiers in each one, you know what the fatality rate was for those landing crafts? 96%. Twenty-nine out of thirty were very likely to die. Many before they could even get out of the landing craft. 
or out of the water or very far onto the beach. Now this, this Allied invasion, this was very important. We had to get a foothold somewhere in Europe and they picked this spot because of the bad weather. They were hoping that would demoralize the Germans. And because of the inaccessibility, they were hoping for a little bit of surprise because they were hoping the Germans would say, nobody would try an invasion here. And they kind of, they kind of played that. And that worked to their advantage. They had to do that invasion then. If they didn't mount an invasion, a successful invasion soon, they anticipated that the war was either going to stretch out another five or ten years, or that the war would just end with Nazis controlling Europe, aggressively controlling Europe and looking to expand. Time was running out. They were facing weather problems. Winter was coming. It's June 6th. We don't think of June 6th as being real close to winter. But when you're planning in advance, they're saying in 90 days we're going to have fall weather. 90 days after that we're going to have winter weather. Because we're not just going to do an invasion that's going to be ended in 48 hours. This is going to take months and months and months. This is going to stretch well into winter. We can't start in winter and expect it to stretch after that. They were running low on supplies. Almost the entire world was rationing oil, gasoline, clothing, food. Many of the soldiers had been in war for a long time. Many of these young men had been having two meals a day and four or five hours of sleep a night for months and months and months and maybe even a couple of years. Their morale was sagging and they were reaching the point of complete physical exhaustion, and there, were, uh, there wasn't a big reserve of soldiers left to draft. They were running out of time. They had to mount an invasion, and it had to be soon, and it had to be successful. Uh, Colonel George Taylor, maybe you know that name if you pay attention to World War II history, he was one of the heroes of that beach invasion, and he was really good at beach invasion. He put together the training program to train everybody on what they were going to do. He is one of the guys, if you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, that Tom Hanks' character was modeled after. There were a couple that, that he was modeled after. George Taylor was one. George Taylor told those guys, all during training, all in leading up to this invasion, and over and over again that morning as they prepared to go, there are two rules to this beach invasion. Rule number one, the beach is death. You will die on that sand. We have got to get over the beach to the cliffs. We have to if we are going to live. Rule number two, inertia is death. If you stop moving, that's death. You think you're safe in the water? You're not. You think you, you, you get down behind something on the beach? You're not safe. Keep moving or you are going to die. He was in early in that first wave, not the first ones off, but early in the first wave. He was there. He didn't want to send all these guys and then go check up on them later. He was, he was amongst kind of the first several hundred that, that got onto the beach. And when he came off of the landing craft, there were dead bodies everywhere, hundreds of guys already dead, 96% fatality rate. He jumps over, climbs over these dead bodies, gets onto the beach, crawls on his elbows, and the whole way, as soon as he came off of the craft, he was shouting. Crawling up the beach on his elbows, he was shouting. He got partway up the beach, and he stood up, which is absolutely not what he should have done, but he stood up, miraculously did not get shot by any of the Germans. And he stood up, and what he had been shouting was, Men, if we are going to die, let's die up there in the cliffs. If we're going to die, let's die up there. That's what he kept shouting over and over again. And then he kept working his way through the beach. And so many of the survivors that day, they said they heard him screaming that, or they heard other people screaming it and repeating it, and that gave them motivation and momentum to keep going. Because the situation looked like one where they should have looked around and said, this, this isn't working. Let's get back in the water, back on the boats, and go try something else. 
If we're going to fail, let's at least fail as close to success as we can. Let's not quit right at the beginning. That should be our outlook when it comes to discipleship. I'm not just talking about sharing the gospel. That's a big part of it. But I'm talking about pouring into the lives of people that are believers. Let's not quit right at the beginning. Somebody raises their hand and they get saved on a Sunday morning. Let's not, well, let's have a victory party. Now they're coming to heaven. Yes, let's celebrate. Now they're going to heaven. But let's not quit. Because we are not where we need to be yet. And, if, and, and we are close to the end. You know, if Jesus comes back before we're finished, and every generation has thought this, but you, you look at the news, you look at the culture, how many of you have kind of wondered, well, how close are we to end times? When's Jesus coming back? I mean, you look at the culture and you can't help it, but, but wonder a little bit, right? He could come back before the end of the sermon. He could come back, he could be hundreds and hundreds of years from now. We don't know. But he could come back at any time. Our culture could shift. And we have kind of, I think, felt the beginning of this. I'm not a doom and gloom guy who thinks it's going to happen this week. But I think the culture is shifting. I believe there very likely could come a time where it becomes illegal to preach the gospel. Where it becomes illegal to gather together as we are right now. Let's not let that happen while we're having one more potluck. Potlucks aren't sinful. I love potlucks. We got something coming up on, on Sunday, December 5th, that I think we're going to enjoy as a church. Talk about that as we get closer to it. Um, but, you know, let's, let's not run out of time while we are pleading with the worship leader to put our favorite song back into rotation. Let's not run out of time while we're home sleeping through church because we had a busy day yesterday. Let's run out of time while we're doing what God has commanded us to do. If we are not going to disciple as many people as we want to disciple, let's at least run out of time to disciple while we are trying to disciple. Let's not run out of time while we're, we're, we're telling ourselves that next week, next month, next year, next season, that's when we're going to get serious about this. Because as many of you who have struggled with something in your life know, as I well know, trying to change my diet and lose some weight, that you can just next week or next month yourself until the end of time. I'm always going to start eating better next week. Only next week turns into this week, and now I got another week to go. Let's not be that way. And, and you know, go and make followers of people in all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's be pouring into lives like we're running out of time to do it. Because I think we are. Because even if the culture doesn't shift and make it illegal, even if Jesus doesn't come back for 500 years, none of us are getting any younger. At best, in nine or ten decades, this little baby that's due in a few weeks is going to run out of time. And by the time this little baby that's due in a few weeks runs out of time, all the rest of us are going to be long gone. Even these youngins sitting here. We are running out of time. And look, finding Jesus is easy. He's looking for you. It's, it's kind of easy to find Jesus. How many churches are in this community? You're looking for Jesus, it's easy to find Jesus. Following Jesus is hard. And that's why we need to be supporting each other and pouring into each other's lives. Because we get infected with inertia. We get infected with this sitting still and, and doing nothing. We get up on the beach and we're kind of hiding behind something. Where, hey, this is, I'm just going to stay here until the end. I'm just going to stay here until somebody comes along and tells me it's safe. Then I'll put my head up. You know what they say. Comfort zones don't have good soil. Nothing grows in your comfort zone. You stay in your comfort zone. You're not growing. Your family's not growing. The people that you are called to minister to, they are not growing. 
So we have to get out of our comfort zone. And here's the bad news. We're not guaranteed success. We are not guaranteed that this is going to work. Ministry is hard. There was, this is in my notes, I promise. But I had two different conversations this morning with people that are frustrated because they have poured into people ministry-wise, discipleship-wise. Those people are not responding the way they want them to respond. Those people are saying, yeah, I'm just going to go and embrace the world. Or, you know what? I'm a believer. Leave me alone. I'm just going to do my thing, and I'm just going to sit on the beach and be comfortable. I'm just going to hunker down and hide from life because I'm already a Christian. I don't need any of this growth stuff. Ministry is hard. Getting into people's lives is hard and messy and frustrating, and it can break your heart. In fact, if you embrace this, your heart will be broken by somebody that you pour into and they go the other direction. It's going to happen. Another reason for all of us to be together so that we can strengthen and encourage each other, right? So let's look at what Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was out living outside of his comfort zone doing these things, and Paul wrote to Timothy. Um, I'm going to get in, into 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm just going to look at a couple verses really quick. As quick as I can. So verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. If you are a note taker, uh, you can follow along. Ben's going to put them up there. Tell this to the brothers and sisters there. This will show that you are a good servant of Christ Jesus. You will show that you are made strong by the words of faith and good teaching you have followed. He's trying to encourage Timothy because Timothy is out there doing the stuff that we're talking about right now. And, and Paul is, is writing a letter to him. To encourage him. Minister to the people you are called to minister to in the way that you are called to minister to them. And we're all called in a different way to minister in a different way. If you are musically gifted, then you are very likely called to minister in some sort of a musical way. You may be a part of the praise team. I am not. I do not have that calling and that gifting, and you are all very thankful for that. How about, how about driving? The other night at Bible study, Miss Fran shared a, a beautiful testimony just in a, a couple of seconds really quick about this ministry she has where she drives people who can't drive themselves to the doctor. Ministry. Discipleship. This is what she can do and is gifted to do and is called to do and this is what she's doing. That's not something that I'm called to do at this stage in my life. But it's what she's called to do and it's what she's doing. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Do what you're called to do. Anybody in here know what LAM is? Lake Area Ministries? If, if you want to help feed hungry people in our community, see Brother Tom. Wave from the back there, Brother Tom, so we know you're awake. I'm just kidding. I know he's awake. Brother Tom spends so much time He's not the only one from our church. With Lake Area Ministries, Lamb, helping to feed hungry people in our community. It's ministry. Do you know what the bread run is for Lamb? Anybody? Anybody here know what the bread run is for Lamb? Not a lot of people. Brother Charles invests a portion of his week nearly every week. And there's been times he hasn't been able to do it. Because he has called me from a hospital bed saying, Mark, can you go do the bread run? I'm afraid that if it doesn't get done, nobody will do it. He makes a run every week gathering bread for people in our community that are underfed. So that Lake Area Ministries has a stockpile of bread to disperse. Ministry. You know... Will you can you can have a ministry playing ball. You can share Jesus with the people you play ball with. You can act in a Christian manner. You can be discipling as you play ball. Zach, you can do that while you're out mowing lawns. You can volunteer at the prison. Somebody who does that. You can sit with hurting women up at the answers ministry. We had a couple people in here that have done that. 
whatever you're called to do, whatever you're gifted to do, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Do what you're gifted to do. Do what you're called to do and keep doing it. And it looks different for, for each one of us. Verse 7. People tell silly stories that don't agree with God's truth. Don't follow what those stories teach. But teach yourself to be devoted to God. I'm not talking about outright heresy that we hear out there. I'm not talking about out and out things that absolutely contradict God's word. I'm talking about things we hear that sound spiritual. When God closes one door, he opens another. You ever heard that? Anybody in here who hasn't heard that? That's not in the Bible. That sounds kind of godly because it mentions God. That's not godly. God won't give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that? Has anybody ever said that to you when you're going through hard times? Just this week, somewhere in the Middle East, if I'd paid attention, I'd have captured the story so I could, I could give you the specifics. But just this past week in the Middle East, there were some people gathered in a home, and somebody was leading a Bible study, and they were preaching about Jesus. And, and the authorities came and, and came through the door and, and took that person in that Bible study out into the courtyard and beheaded them. Personally, I am against Bible study ending that way. Do you think shouting to that guy in the court, courtyard just before they cut his head off? Don't worry, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. When God closes one door, he's opening another. We get to be latch on to these comfortable sayings, and they're not biblical. He just had more than he could handle. That doesn't mean he's not going to go into heaven. Doesn't mean that he's not a believer. In fact, he was being persecuted and killed because he was a believer. Because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. Money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard that? That is a perversion of a verse that is in the Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil. But money itself is not evil. Money's a tool. Money's like a hammer. Hammer's not evil. If I smack you in the head with it, you probably think it's evil. But if I use it to build you a table, then you probably think it's a pretty good hammer. But we hear this all the time. Money is the root of all evil. This too shall pass. You ever heard that? That's not out of God's word. Maybe the struggle you're sitting with, maybe it's not going to pass. Let me encourage you even more. Maybe it's going to get worse. <laughs> maybe as bad as it is right now, maybe 12 months from now, you're going to be nostalgic for back in 2021 when it was just really bad. Cleanliness is next to godliness. You heard this? If you were raised by my mom, you'd have heard it. Trust me. A lot. I was pretty far from godliness, at least as far as my mom was concerned. That's, that's not in God's word. This, this, this book that we've got, this amazing collection of scriptures, all of these books, Old Testament and New Testament, this is it's our instruction manual for life. People tell silly stories that don't agree with God's truth. Don't follow that nonsense from the world. Teach yourself to be devoted to God. Devote yourself to God by reading His Word so that you know what His Word says. So that you can recognize the silly nonsense of the world attributes to God as silly nonsense. 1 Thessalonians says, Test everything and keep what is good. When somebody comes to you and, Oh, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Test that against God's word and see if it's not garbage. God might give you more than you can handle. And that's okay, because if you're connected to God, he tells you how you are going to handle not being able to handle it. Verse 8. Training your body helps you in some ways, but devotion to God helps you in every way. It brings you blessings in this life and in the future life too. What is helpful in every way? Devotion to God helps you in every way. Look, there's nothing wrong with training your body. There's nothing wrong with training your mind. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your, your mental and emotional health. Nothing wrong with those things. But what is helpful in every way? Devotion to God. 
You want to get healthier financially? Devote yourself to God. Now, when you get healthier financially, that doesn't mean that your bank account's going to swell up. What that means is you are going to draw closer and closer to God. You are going to feel better about what your bank account looks like. You are going to recognize that, that finances aren't everything. You are called to serve and you are not called to have money and spend money. You're not even called to have enough money. You might not have enough money. But you're still called to serve. You want to get better physically? You want to get physically healthy? Draw close to God. Now that's not going to heal your physical ailments. But that's going to give you a comfort through those physical ailments. You want to draw closer to God. And that is going to help you when you are mourning loss. It's not going to restore that loss. That's not going to cure your sadness. But it is going to give you a spiritual comfort as you walk through that sadness. You want to fix everything in your life, draw closer to God. Devotion to God helps you in every way. Anybody in here doesn't need any help? I mean, anybody in here, everything is so perfect, you don't need any help? Look around. Nobody has their hand up. We all need help with something. Devotion to God is going to help you in every way. Verses 9 and 10. Here is a true statement that should be accepted without question. We hope in the living God, the Savior of all people. In particular, He is the Savior of all those who believe in Him. This is why we work and struggle. God is for everybody. The cross is for everybody. You are never going to meet somebody that Jesus didn't hang on that cross for. You are never going to meet a sinner who did something so bad that it wasn't covered by the blood of Christ. Every single person you encounter is somebody that Jesus died for. Now, they have to accept that. You can't put them in a headlock until they accept it. They have to have, they have to make that choice themselves. But this is what, this is why we work and struggle. This has to be our biggest enthusiasm as believers. Not fishing, not football, not our job, not our career, not our families, not the stuff that we love and enjoy, but discipleship, evangelism, everyday gospel. That is why we work and struggle. Because our devotion has to be to the living God. The belief that Jesus resurrected. That's where our enthusiasm needs to be. Because that is what we are called to do. Not to just sit on the beach and get comfortable. Verses 11 and 12. Command and teach these things. You are young, but don't let anybody treat you as if you were not important. Be an example to show the believers how they should live. Show them by what you say, by the way you live, by your love, by your faith, and by your pure life. This was written to Timothy, who was young. And Paul was saying, don't let them give you a hard time because you're younger than them. Disciple them anyways and share truth and preach truth to them anyways. But if we can look at this verse, he is saying, don't let them hold against you that thing that you worry about. So put yourself into Timothy's spot. You are old, but don't let anybody treat you as if you are not important. You are overweight, but don't let anybody treat you as if you are not important. You can't memorize scripture, no matter how hard you try. But don't let them treat you as if you are not important. You can't sing worth anything. But don't let them treat you as if you are not important. You don't have a nice car, but don't let them treat you as if you are not important. Be an example to show the believers how they should live. Show them by what you say, by the way you live, by your love, by your faith, and by your pure love. What you say, the way you live, the way you love, by your faith, and by your pure life. All that other stuff doesn't matter, but boy, those things sure do. Hold on to those things, Timothy. Hold on to those things, Eric. Hold on to those things, Sam. Hold on to those things, everybody. 
Because that is how you avoid inertia, where you just stand still and stay comfortable. Verse 13, continue to read the scriptures to the people, encourage them and teach them, do this until I come. Now in content, read the scriptures, because they weren't carrying our Bibles. You had to meet together where somebody had some of the scriptures, some of the Old Testament, for them to read it to you, and not a lot of people could read. So the, the, the one guy in the crowd that could read was the guy that was going to read that to him. Most all of us in this room know how to read. I'd say we all like to read, but we all know how to read. We have got something they didn't have. We have got access to God's Word. Continue to read the Scriptures. Continue to dig into God's Word so that those words of God can encourage you, that they can teach you. Do this until I come. This was Paul saying, you keep doing that until I get there. Keep building that habit because that habit is going to serve you well. You don't have to spend too much time around Press Start Fellowship to figure out what we as, as preachers here think about reading God's Word. Yes, you ought to be doing it all the time, not just once in a while. And, and that wasn't something that started after I got here. First time I showed up here, that's what y'all were talking about. Y'all were talking about that a long time before Pastor Steve got here. Reading God's Word is important. Verse 14, remember to use the gift you have which was given to you through a prophecy when the group of elders laid their hands on you. Now this, of course, is very specific to Timothy. Paul reminding him of, of how he received his gift. But if you know Jesus, and, and Pastor Steve asked you just a little bit ago how many of you were born again, and most of you raised your hands, so I'm counting on you to still remember that. If you know Jesus, you have some spiritual gifts. Wanda, what are your spiritual gifts? Teaching. Teaching. I love it. Eric, what are your spiritual gifts? Working. Working. And you know what? Eric has had an awesome ministry. He has fixed several things around our house. Because, because I cannot. When they're broken, I can break them worse. Eric has fixed so many things around our house. And he won't take money. I mean, no matter how many times I try to pay him, he won't have it. He is gifted in that way. Jenny, what are your spiritual gifts? Encouraging. Encouraging. And that is true. James has got that as well because Thursday night, James cleaned up all the coffee. Didn't, didn't tell me he did it. Cleaned up all the coffee and then he left. And then it was, it was dark outside and I was getting ready to leave and I had a long day on Thursday. And I walked in there to clean up all the coffee and it was already cleaned up. I, I, drove, I drove home. Thank you God for James. What are your spiritual gifts? If you don't know, then you need to figure that out. Talk to Brother Tom. Brother Tom can get you a spiritual gift assessment. We've got some of those around the church. If you're not sure what your gifts are, talk to Pastor Steve. Talk to me. If you've got gifts and you don't have a place to use them, well, hey, Pastor Mark, I got this gift. You don't have a ministry that it fits. So uh, I guess I'm just going to sit here on the beach and wait. You come and talk to us and we will create a ministry for you. Now, when I say we will create a ministry, I don't mean Pastor Steve and I will create a ministry for you. I mean Pastor Steve and I will get with you and we will work together to come up with some way to use your spiritual gift to disciple a fallen world around us. To disciple a world full of believers that aren't in their word, that aren't growing spiritually. Verses 15 and 16, continue to do these things. Give your life to doing them that everyone can see that your work is progressing. Be careful in your life and in your teaching. Continue to live and teach rightly. Then you will save yourself and those who listen to your teaching. What an essential closing challenge to this mission. Live right and continue living right. You can't just live right on Sunday and then assume you're covered for the rest of the week. You need to be doing it all the rest of the week. That invasion, that allied invasion was so essential. 
to end the war. Because they were running out of stuff and they were running out of time. So are we. We're all getting older. We all know people that have passed away and we're not sure whether or not they know Jesus. We all know people that have passed away and they didn't know Jesus. We're running out of time. We ought to feel this intense pressure to share Christ with the world around us. Remember those beach landing rules. The beach is death. Standing still is death. Just because you are saved, sitting down and treading water is not spiritual life. George Taylor kept saying, if we're going to die, let's die up there. Folks, that's what I'm saying here at Fresh Start Fellowship. If we are going to fail at discipleship, let's fail while we are discipling people. If we are going to fail at evangelism, let's fail while we're sharing the gospel. If we are going to fail at serving the community around us, well, let's fail while we're serving. Let's not fail while we're just sitting and having a potluck. Let's not fail while we're just sitting and making plans about what we're going to do next week, next month. Lord, Lord, I pray that I was not in the way of myself this morning. Because, Lord, I think this is such a burdensome call on the life of us as believers to impact the world out there. To share you in a world where people are dying without you. To encourage those who know you to get up off of the beach and to begin moving forward so that they can join in this command to share you with the world, to go into all the world. Lord, I pray that in the week to come, in the next seven days, Lord, I pray that you will put opportunities in front of each of us to walk this out. And Lord, I am well aware that by asking you that, I am asking for you to show up and push and pull each of us to leave our comfort zone. Lord, I am well aware that this week you are going to pull me out of my comfort zone. Lord, comfort me while you do that, because I hate to leave my comfort zone. But Lord, it's what I have been commanded to do. Lord, I just pray that this week I will not be alone in seeing that opportunity. Lord, I pray that I will have the courage and the wisdom to take that opportunity. And Lord, I pray that I will not do it alone because time is running out. Lord, I just pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.